my friends, and welcome to the Experience Our Industry podcast. I'm Dr. Brian Greenwood, and I am super excited to be here today with one of my favorite students of all time, Eric Labassier-Duarte. How are you, Eric? I am doing great. Thanks for having me, Dr. Greenwood. Oh, it's so great to see you. Um, you know, I, I've said many times that uh, getting to catch up with um, some of my favorite former students is really um, the, the best part about this podcast. I know that that people tell me that the students get a lot out of it, and I appreciate <laughs> all of that, but really it's just me getting it's it's me being selfish because I get to I get to catch up with you guys so uh it's so great to see you yeah great to see you too and I think this is a great way to catch up and have a good conversation and then also yeah share it with the rest of your audience yeah for sure so let me tell uh let me tell everybody a little bit about you Eric before we before we get in and dive into your life and career and, and whatnot, Eric is currently a senior named account manager for a company called Proofpoint. Um, and uh, Eric's been doing that for, uh, I guess you, you've been with um, Proofpoint for over five years now, right? And um, yes. Yeah, and we're going to get into how you went down that path, and and um, and I'm excited to to get to hear about about what you're doing. Um, but but we're going to go back a little bit first, right? Eric is a 2013 graduate of our program, so he's been out for for 10 years now, and so we we gotta <laughs> we gotta catch up and figure out what he's been doing these last 10 years. But let's uh, let's go back even further. Tell us where you grew up, Eric. Definitely. Yeah, I grew up in Orchid, California, which is right next to Santa Maria, about 30 minutes south of Slow. I remember that well. Uh, farming uh, farming area there in um, in Orchid and, and Santa Maria, tons of farming there. What did you what did your uh, parents do while you're growing up? Uh, interesting and uh, into interestingly enough, they were both uh, Santa when they first met and had me. They were both Santa Barbara County sheriffs, and um, yeah, we're in law enforcement. And then my mom kind of phased out of that over the years and had other types of like part time jobs. And my dad stayed in there and then ended up retiring. Right, 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 right. Yeah, a lot of people, um, I think here in San Luis Obispo don't realize how close Santa Maria and Santa Barbara are and Orchid and Santa Barbara are, right? Yeah. So a lot of people end up commuting to Santa Barbara. And unfortunately, it's probably a lot of um a lot of public servants do that because I I actually know um Dr. Rue's family. Um there's a retired fire chief that lived in in that area that was retired from Santa Barbara. So we kind of wow. know that connection there. Yeah. So, so tell us about yeah, it's um, different. It's an interesting area because it's, yeah. you know, in between San Francisco and LA halfway yeah. there. And so, yeah. but uh, there are not, there's not a lot of corporations and stuff like that. So if you come from L the yeah. LA or San Francisco Bay area, like you know, your parents or your parents' friends might have corporate jobs or things that are in a big Metro area. And the area I grew up in, it's a lot of small business owners. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people who work for, the government or the public um, from law enforcement to like working for the county or something like that. And then a lot of teachers and, and things like that. So it's yeah. kind of interesting in that way. 
um, that, yeah, you don't have people who are, you know, executives at corporations that you really know. Right, 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 right. And then, of course, Vandenberg's right there. Uh, w- when you were growing up, Air Force Base, but now it's the Space Force Base. Um, yes. Some, somehow. But uh, but, uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, we, won't, we won't get into that. But uh, so, yeah, tell me about tell me about brothers and sisters. Sorry about that. Oh, no worries. Yeah, I have two younger siblings, um, two sisters. One's two years younger than me and the other's three years younger. Right on. Shout out to the sis, uh, to the sisters there. So um, tell me about young Eric growing up. What were you into? <laughs> what was your jam? Oh, man. Um, I have vivid memories. Uh, before I started going to school, like before age five, just hanging out at home in the backyard, running down the lawn, jumping in the pool, yeah. uh, playing with dogs. We had a uh, little like little rascals kind of atmosphere with the neighborhood kids and running around doing stuff, playing around. Nice. Um, that is old school, Eric. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to explain to our podcast audience who the little rascals are. I yeah. love it because I know who the little rascals are. That's like my era, but uh, that is awesome. So for those who don't know, little rascals are were, were this. Um, that was like this little gang of like uh, kids uh, that were. It was like a TV show. Yeah. And, um, and they were they were really they were really quite uh, quite uh, something else. So, so I love that that reference. I haven't thought about the little rascals in so many years. That's so cool. Yeah, it was totally like us. I remember one day, and this maybe leads into later on down the road in the career I'm in now specifically. Yeah. But yeah, I always wanted um, the ice cream truck would come around and I always wanted to buy something. And yeah. I we didn't have I didn't have my own money. And I was like, how do I get money? And so in my backyard, we had like five different fruit trees and kind of little rascal style. I just picked all the fruit from like plums and apricots and peaches uh-huh. and put them in a wagon, a red radio flyer uh-huh. and went door to door around the neighborhood offering people fruit. I was like four, no parental supervision. No one told me to do it. Nice. And yeah, I got some change, spare change basically and bought ice cream with it. Yeah. And then you're like, the ice cream man is coming. I love yeah. <laughs> that. So awesome. That is very, very cool. So young entrepreneur there. Yeah. Uh, so, so as leading up into the, you know, middle school and high school years where you start to develop an identity and whatnot, um, what, what did you get into? Were you in the arts? Were you in the drama? Were you in the sports? What was, uh, what was your, what was your main gig? I had like two or three and they were all the ones you just mentioned. So yeah, yeah, I was really big in like drama and junior high, which Mm -hmm. was kind of more like an improv style drama experience. I had more so than like rehearsing lines and doing an actual play or a recital or something. Nice. Um, I also got accepted into this yearbook class where everybody makes a yearbook. And what was really neat about it this time is the first year they were doing a color yearbook and it was all digital and done on Apple computers versus like uh-huh. cutting stuff out and scrapbook style yearbooks. And so that was a really cool collaborative experience. Oh, wow. That's really fascinating. I love that. So, you know, I started this new little segment called the Glory Days segment where you get to share um, something from your early life, like whether it's middle school or high school or or what it is, like the glory days, you know, what, what was your proudest accomplishment that you would want people to to remember uh, when you look back? 
Man, there's so many that I examples I could pull from. So the, the examples I just gave were kind of like in junior high, but in high yeah. school, I was really into filmmaking and was in a film class all those years alongside um, being on the, the water polo team and uh, being the co-captain of my water polo varsity water polo team. And we got really far one year. We we're finalists and um, the CIF. Uh, we ended up losing, getting second place, but it was an amazing experience and journey doing that. So wow. probably either the sports or, or some of the films that we ended up making um, yeah. and the journeys that went along with them, not just yeah. the, the culmination at the end. Those were all things I'm really proud of. I love that. I love that. Yeah, my my high school, um, each uh, each class got to put on a 30 minute skit um, or, or not skit, a play. It was like a play, right? It had to be music oriented. And, and, um, and I got to direct that one year and it was like this, that was such an amazing experience. Like bringing all of your classmates together to like put on something creative is, is pretty, is pretty cool. I think a lot of high schools do that. Um, so pretty, pretty special. Um, yeah. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about your your path to Cal Poly. Now, obviously, uh, pretty close, right? I mean, you're 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 semi local, right? Uh, yeah. When you think about Orca and Santa Maria, um, but everyone has their own story, and a lot of times, you know, you want to branch out. You don't want to go so close to home. Um, what was that experience like for you in choosing Cal Poly? Yeah, great question. Well, it was kind of a weird time when I was graduating high school because it was right like a year after the Great Recession of 2008. So I think wow. that it might have been a different atmosphere than people, you know, choosing college in like, you know, the 80s or 90s or something like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I knew obviously knew about Cal Poly. Um, but, yeah, it was kind of a, a little bit of an anxious and scary time, too, because people are like, what job do we want to do? And we're like 17 years old. And yeah. for me, both my parents were didn't go to college. So I was a first generation college student. So I kind of lacked some uh, real world like experience and guidance there. So we had a career center at our high school that had a person, people who worked there, staff, and they had this library full of like course catalogs and different books, and they would kind of advise you and help you out. So at the time I was choosing, I really thought I wanted to go to a film school. I also was thinking about some other jobs I may have wanted, but um, while I was in high school, every year we would uh, they would have this opportunity where you could be a camp counselor at an outdoor school, the one Rancho Alegre, which I don't think is there anymore, unfortunately, down in near Santa Barbara. And so that was a very like inspiring experience for me working alongside like the naturalists that worked there and the people who staffed the camp. And I was, so I kind of had an epiphany, I think my senior year where I was like, whoa, this is like where I'm really, really happy is being in a setting like this, you're outdoors in a beautiful area, like educating people and just, it's yeah. a great vibe. Right. And so I was like, how do I do this? And that kind of spurred me on a path to like understanding that there was, there are recreation style or experience industry style programs at universities, which was something I had to learn at that time. And then mm -hmm. I whittled it down to realizing what few colleges had those programs and Cal Poly was one of them. And overall, it's like the best college I think I could get into right. as far as a California university and how prestigious it is. So that's kind of what made that like my first choice college and program that I wanted to pursue. Right. I love it. That's such a great story. And um, 
You know, I just I think about um, Eric. Um, you know, I think about you in 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 school, and you know, you 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 stood out. You have this you have this big personality um, <laughs> where where you know where you command a room. Really, you really do. And um and I just remember um you know being drawn to you right away because of that that personality and you know and, and we're both kind of bigger guys, right? And yeah. So, so, um. Uh. And so I I I remember just. Uh, uh, bigger guys with big personalities, right? And so I, I just remember being drawn to you and um, as a student. And um, so I wonder if you can reflect on um, on what it was like um, during your time at Cal Poly, uh, looking back and going, okay, you know, ten years later, I look back and what memories really stand out. We'll, we'll talk about professional development in a minute, yeah. um, but what memories really stand out for you? Yeah, there's so many, it's hard to choose. But it's interesting, because when you're ages 18 to 22, your time moves a lot slower, right? And so like four years, it's such a pivotal moment in your life and type of experience really sticks out. And it's elongated compared to maybe the past like four years uh, as a professional kind of go doing normal life. So but what really a few things and kind of like themes that really stood out to me about Cal Poly and specifically our department um, was just the two things. Firstly, the faculty, including you, and how inspiring it was to be around a group of people who I felt were like extremely smart and not to use just a generic adjective, but like really cool. It's yeah. the first time in my life where you had teachers who came from these backgrounds like like you or um, thinking of, of some of the other other professors too had backgrounds in recreation and wow. had cool jobs and are in a department that is really exciting and fun. So very fun atmosphere. Yeah. Whereas um, my education up to that point, there were a handful of inspiring teachers here and there, but it was a lot more broad and kind of generic. So I think that just inspired me to feel like I was in the right place. Um, and that some of those memories were just the way classes were open, the way that we did different uh, types of icebreakers and group and it yeah. had a community atmosphere. And that's the other thing that stood out was just the culture yeah. was it's super collaborative. I know like some other majors at Cal Poly probably can claim that to you, like a business degree, you're working on projects and doing right. stuff with people, but it's really different. Yeah. And so that was worked well for me because I had already worked with large groups on films and um, I'd worked on a team on a water polo team doing things together. So it's just this really good way to like learn. And so just the culture and by the way, all the other students who are attracted to this, they found about out about this major some way and they chose it over a more traditional major. Right. And I think that takes kind of a special personality and person with interest. So that mm-hmm. made it really unique. So I just always was really happy that I was part of that. So that's what stood out the most to me. There's a bunch of other examples I can give, but I think those are what I'm going to choose to say. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So let's talk about that professional development um, element. Um, and so when you think about your four years, um, obviously, like most of our students, you did a ton, you were involved in a, a ton of different things. But is there um, a work experience or a club or whatever it might be, where you look back and you think to yourself, wow, this, that really helped to propel me into what I'm doing now? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I did so many different internships in those four years because there was a lot of that anxiety with the Great Recession too, where you're like, oh man, I got to have a great resume by the time yeah. I graduate. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Um, in addition to like our classes where, you know, you would be doing a project like a programming class and you would be going to like a blood drive or something on campus, or you'd be going to the Atascadero like fair uh, carnival. I can't remember what it was called. Yeah. Um, different it. events, stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> but a few things that really stood out and that were like really relevant to what I'm doing now and the, the world I entered after Cal Poly was um, I worked at MindBody in Slow for a little while, which was a tech company. And so you had that office atmosphere, but it still was like more fun. It wasn't like the office space office. It was <laughs> right. like a tech office um, with a lot of other young people. They, they had this program where they hired just college students to kind of work hourly part-time to help uh, grow their business and do some outreach um, to different uh, prospective customers. So mm-hmm. that was a pretty interesting experience. You had an email address, you had a phone line, you had a computer, you had all the stuff. Yeah. yeah. That is like so ubiquitous now for a lot of people working in tech. Yeah. And and you you got some experience in sales there too, didn't you? That's right. Yeah. So I was part of the sales team and and on the marketing team briefly there too. So yeah, I got a a feel for what inside sales um, really was like, which was the first part of my career. Yeah. Like, I guess one of the things that I would ask as a follow-up to that is, did that kind of break down the stigma for you with sales? Like, I think a lot of um, college graduates, and I just think about myself, like I went into a sales job right away and um I had this stigma with sales that, and I was terrible at it, Eric. I mean, just awful. Like I was like sweaty, I was like sweaty palms guy, you know, like uh, (laughs) I could talk to anybody in a scenario like this, like you and me, you know, um, or at a bar or whatever, I could uh, talk to anybody, but you put me where I had to take money from someone. My hands started getting like sweaty and (laughs) I was like, People were like, yeah. what's wrong with you, dude? Um, but it, did that break down the stigma for you a little bit? I think so. I think it broke down some stigmas and then also showed me that some stereotypes are totally true. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> um, like, and and it was, it's really good to know that too, because um, you want to really set yourself in whatever you do, um, you want to set yourself apart and be authentic and do things your own way. You also want to be like effective too. So having exposure to like things that maybe you don't see as good or the, the things that are successful and you want to kind of do it, but your own way, that's all, that's a really good environment. I think for people to be in, unless like you're going into the type of role that like one of your parents had or someone, you know, really close and they can just kind of teach you how to do it. For me, it was like, I'm learning by like doing and learning by kind of watching others. Uh-huh. So yeah. Um, for me, like what I took away from it was just like, okay, this is a good, this is a, a really solid career path because um, you can earn money to do the things you want to do sometimes quickly. Uh-huh. And so for me, I really wanted to travel. And so I kind of, that always stuck out to me. And when I, or when I did my internship, which I'm sure we'll talk about, I went into uh, an event marketing agency, not sales directly, but I still kind of thought about sales as a career that I could be successful at um, because of my style and the way that I was putting it together. Right. Well, let's uh, let, let's jump to that to that internship because you are um, you are part of uh, 
uh, a long history of alumni with uh, with George P. Johnson, who uh, went through the George P. Johnson pipeline. Um, so talk to us a little bit about getting that position and um, and what that position taught you in, in moving forward with your career. Yeah, it was such an incredible experience. I am so grateful and glad that I you know, was selected uh, to be an intern there, George V. Johnson, alongside like, you know, five to eight others uh, from my graduating class, people I knew really well. And the leadership at George V. Johnson was just amazing. Their internship program is very um, organized and structured. And, you know, I'm kind of speaking like nine or 10 years ago anyway. So I'm sure it's just gotten better and better since then. And I know that Cal Poly has probably even more engagement with them at this point too, but um, it's a structured internship and I wasn't the first intern they had. So that allowed them to have a good process for putting, giving the exposure to like amazing experiences that um, I still think about today and um, still carry with me. That's awesome. I love it. So let's talk, you know, we're not going to go, we're not going to go position by position, um, but I I do want to talk to you a little bit about the fact that that you took a little bit of a career break um, to to hike the Appalachian Trail. And, um, you know, for those who are are not familiar uh, with the Appalachian Trail, it is a 2000 mile trail on the East Coast um, that is uh, a, a pretty huge accomplishment to be able to to hike it um i i hiked 100 miles on it and it was one of the most uh you know it was one of the most uh one of the most meaningful experiences of my life um i wonder if you can share with us um your decision you know you were working in a corporate position for almost two years um with um simple learn right and then you decided to take this sabbatical and and hike the Appalachian Trail. Tell us a little bit about that process and then um, share with us uh, that experience and what it was like. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, the the first thing I'll say just in general was like the return on investment or the ROI on traveling and taking time to have like big travel experiences is just out of control. Um, You grow so much from it, no matter what you do, whether it's like what I did, or if you want to just go travel to another country and spend some time there, it's, it's incredible. So I kind of knew that um, throughout Cal Poly, I was pretty much self-funded. And so I wasn't able to do a study abroad experience. And so when I graduated, I really was yearning for some type of just dedicated, like kind of get out of your own um, hometown or area kind of experience to get out there and yeah. see the world and experience it. And so I kind of had to juggle it because I was, you know, in the early stage of my career. So I knew I wanted to do that. At first, I really thought it'd be a good idea to buy the round the world plane ticket that at the time was probably like $5,000 and you could take as many flights in one direction around the world. Um, if you wanted for as long as you wanted. So that's kind of where I first got this idea of taking a year off um, to do it. But I needed like some capital to do to do all that. And so I kind of set a date for myself. I was thinking like, okay, 2016 will be the year that um, I'm going to disembark on this. And so I just focused for a few years 
on getting good experience, having a good job like I did at Simply Learn and trying to be successful in the sales position so I could save up the money needed to have a really good experience. Yeah. And that was and as that was getting closer, I was juggling ideas and different things I could do. And the Appalachian Trail came up as an option. And I was amazed by it because I knew a little bit about it, but um, yeah, someone needs to just Google Appalachian Trail if you're listening to this and you don't know what it looks like and through hiking it because the 100%. pictures will be a thousand words and like what it looks like and what the journey's like and the type of yeah. people you meet and stuff. But also I was in my early twenties. So I was like, okay, hiking a couple thousand miles is maybe a better thing to do early on right now than like waiting to do it later when I'm older. Right. I felt like international travel would be there for me. Um, although I didn't predict the pandemic that kind of paused it for a minute, but anyways, right. um, yeah, my now wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. And I were thinking, let's go do this together. Let's fly to Georgia and, um, do a through hike, uh, northbound. Yeah. And so we started getting prepared and training and acquiring all the gear and that's kind of how the decision was made. We basically just left our jobs and did it um, with the faith that this was going to help us grow and become better people. And like that coming back and reentering the workforce wouldn't really be an issue. And, and all that turned out to be true. Right. That is really wild, uh, Eric, because I, I, I love the story and leading up to it and all of that. And I did not know that you did it with your with your then girlfriend, now wife. And I want to say, um, as far as an experience goes, that <laughs> I will tell you whether or not you want to be with this person for the rest of your life. That's that's a that's one that um because there's so many ups and downs yeah um in life and in a marriage and 100% and a hike of the Appalachian Trail. I mean, I yeah. like I did it with my best friend and I wanted to kill him a couple of times, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and so uh and so uh so tell us um tell us uh, uh when you look back at that experience um tell us what um give us a, a one really funny or great story right that that came out of it i'm sure there's hundreds um and yeah. then also tell us your trail name cool you i'll start with the trail name real quick um okay. it was little santa nice you and i had a, a beard out yeah not as glorious as yours but i did have a beard and um <laughs> We started um, on St. Patrick's Day uh, for a northbound hike, yeah. and somebody was some trail angels were out there passing out cookies to people starting their hike. And so I got this cookie, and yeah, they're like, "Oh, it's like Santa with cookies," and that's how I got that trend. Nice, love it, man. Uh, Doctor Greenwood, it is so hard to choose one of these memories. So um, yeah. Every day was amazing because you would just wake up, hang out and meet different people from all over the place. Many though from like the East Coast or the South or international was like the bulk of there were a lot of people from the West Coast. Mm -hmm. So the type of friendships you would make were just absolutely incredible. Um, there were so many experiences where there were trail angels who came out and just cooked like these amazing meals for people. And so it really made you just see like the goodness and people like every day, there's a very like great community on the trail. Yeah. Um, one thing that stands out though, is we celebrated my wife's birthday in Virginia on the trail. 
at um, a shelter that was just like so picturesque and so cool. Mm-hmm. And we made like hats out of like random materials. We had like party hats and had pizza delivered and we, no one has a car and you're hitchhiking everywhere. And so we got to this pizza place and we asked the guy like, Hey, if we order a pizza to be delivered to the shelter, can you like deliver us with you in the car? And so we, I don't know, we hitchhiked with this giant pizza and uh, with like a bunch of people crammed in a car and enjoyed this great birthday celebration on the trail. That is awesome. That is really cool. Well, see, I really, really appreciate the wholesome stories that you that you took <laughs> you told. Um, because if I started telling stories of just my like <laughs> just on my like 12 days, um, me me and my buddy had this like harrowing our, our one hitchhike. Um, we end up getting in this truck with a guy who's um a recovering heroin addict who wow. had just gone to the clinic to get his methadone. And um, I really seriously thought this guy was going to kill us. Um, <laughs> and, and, and he actually, he, he actually kind of confessed to killing his cousin while we were in the truck. Um, oh no. <laughs> luckily, yeah. Luckily I didn't hear it because um he had like um, plastic over one of the windows and I was on the far side and my buddy was in the middle. And so my buddy could hear him and I could barely hear him. Thank- thankfully, I could barely hear him. And then, you know, about an hour later, my uh, my friend looks at me and goes, did you hear him confess to killing his cousin? And I was like, <laughs> what? He's like, yeah, I mean, I. I'm pretty sure that's what he said. <laughs> I was like, oh no, that's oh, terrifying. Oh my gosh, you know. And um, and he was like, and why did you give him your number? Why didn't you lie to him and tell him a different number? That's I hilarious. Like, I, I, and uh, and I was like, well, because I was afraid if I lied to him and he tried to call it and he realized it wasn't a number. That he would come back looking for us. And he goes, Oh, yeah. okay, that's actually a pretty good uh <laughs> that's oh my a pretty God. good reason. But you know, everything else was uh was really amazing. And um, I just love that you were that you were on the trail with your with your now wife. And yeah, wow, what a what a bond, Eric. That is really, really special. So let's talk about that transition back into corporate life after uh you know after completing um the 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 hike um what was that like i mean I, i've heard stories that it can be a little bit difficult yeah there's a lot of like um kind of like whiplash because your days are just exercising all day hanging out with pretty cool people seeing beautiful stuff. It's only really natural noises. You're hearing birds in the wind. Um, Then you go back to even a place that's not that crazy. Like you could go back to slow and you'd notice like the sound of a bus stopping and the hydraulics. And so you kind of have a, I feel a little bit of a sensory overload that lasts a little bit of time afterwards. And you're also like bummed that you don't not have a job and get to like hang out with your friends and hike all day. Um, So you got to kind of just get back on the pony. um, I'd say, but 
I was, yeah, figuring out what I wanted to do. And part of it was like thinking if I wanted to go back into doing like software technology sales or trying to get back more into the um, recreation or experience industry and stuff like that. And so I decided just to get back into sales right away and kind of keep my ears open to see if there were any cool jobs that kind of called my name. I did some volunteering for some different events to see if I could network and Mm -hmm. start working for a cool company that might, you know, give you a van and allow you to travel around the world and go to different events or travel around the country and stuff like that. That didn't really pan out, although I made some more really cool friends uh, through those experiences. And I just realized I'm really good at what I do now. And it Uh brings together a lot of parts of my personality and learning experiences, things I learned at Cal Poly through our industry, or sorry, through our department, as well as all the support courses from like marketing to leadership to even accounting and stuff like that. Um, So I decided to stick with it and started seeing a lot of success with it. Well, you know, I I absolutely love it, Eric, and and one of the reasons, like I, I from time to time, I'll 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 hear some critique from people who say things along the lines of, well, why do you keep having these people on who who do software sales or or who do something that's not related to um to to our industry? And I'm like, um, because one, I really believe very strongly that our major um, prepares you to do just about anything. The transferability of skills, I think, is a really um, valuable piece of what of what we do. Yes. Um, and, and two, the experience industry that we've kind of rallied around, right? Ultimately, kind of includes just about anything. I mean, you're you're engaged in in experiences through software sales, and 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 um and and I know from following you on LinkedIn and seeing all the different things that you do, I know you're using some of those skills. Would would you uh would you agree? How would you assess that transferability aspect that I'm talking about? Yeah, I couldn't agree more, and I really could talk about this on and on um, because. I think about it a lot, um, but the overarching thing is related to how a lot of what our major is designed to do, no matter what concentration you you choose, is based around building thoughtful or thoughtfully building experiences for other people yeah. using those leadership skills to like produce some sort of outcome. And I know I'm really boiling four years of education down to that, but um, yeah, that's kind it. of what you're going to be doing and like uh, what I'm doing, which is like a client facing role. Yeah. Um, but what's been really interesting is over the past few years, I've done a lot of courses um, uh, through the graduate school of business at Stanford. I actually just mm-hmm. wrapped up this leadership certificate 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 at Harvard. And so much of just your career in general is based around um, meeting with people and providing an experience that's like beneficial. And that's like what, what folks are looking for, unless which you're probably not, maybe you have, or maybe you will interview someone who's like a software engineer, who's just spending all day on computer doing some collaboration. Like Right. everyone I think who comes out of this program is going to be working with people a lot. And so, um, that transfers over to my role, which is like all day, even if I'm not on a, a meeting or a call with the customer, I'm emailing, I'm doing different things that are all related to people. Mm-hmm. And this major focuses so much on that because um, it. that's what it is. It's not a technical, like a software or a hardware thing. It's all related to people. Um, right. 
So I could dive deeper into that, but I think the way you've structured the major or when I took it was like, we had leadership classes. I recall with like Dr. Sturm um, that are transferable. You were required to take different business classes where you learn about like marketing and uh, even accounting and stuff like that. So I think it's all really transferable, but the, the other aspect is the public speaking element of the yeah. experience industry management. Like I can't really think of one core major class that didn't have like either a group project or an individual presentation attached to it. Right. That's, yeah. Um, yeah. That's valuable. And that's something that a lot of people like in other disciplines of like the, the corporate world, um, don't can, might struggle with, um, right. And that sets you apart and also makes you more viable for like leadership roles and things like that. Right. I love it. So, you know, we, we, we talked about at the jump um, that you're working with a company called Proofpoint, right? And um, I would imagine that most of our our listeners um, are unaware of Proofpoint. And so if you don't mind, spend a little time telling us what Proofpoint does and what type of industry uh, that Proofpoint is involved in. Yeah, absolutely. They're not really like a household name for like the general public, like, uh, you know, Meta or Facebook or Apple or something like that. but. If you're in the cybersecurity industry or the IT industry, which is really big, every you know Fortune company and most most companies or businesses have like a, a security need to minimize their risk. They've heard of Proofpoint, mm-hmm. um, and so it's a cybersecurity company that's over 20 years old, and uh, folk, their motto is protect people and defend data. So they have a lot of products for like protecting outbound threats that come in through like email specifically, because everyone has an email address. And that's a place where threat actors might want to uh, send phishing links or other uh, things that can lead to negative consequences because everyone has an email. It's a big, easy target and it's inexpensive to um, target people there. So we have the, the industry's best solution for email. And then we also do a lot of other things related to like information protection, data loss protection and compliance. So we have a big portfolio I won't dive too deep into, but we're a leading cybersecurity company. That's the number one deployed solution in the Fortune 100 and 500. And um, yeah, we're a very growing company as well. Love it. Love it. Yeah. And um you know, obviously, it's 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 so important, and um, and is only going to get more important as uh, as we yeah. as we move forward. Um, when I kind of think about um industries uh that are not going to go away, um, and that will only grow, uh, this one seems like uh one that uh <laughs> that will will only grow. Um. And so I, I wonder if you can tell us, um, you know, I think also, Eric, um, just be- because it's not really necessarily something that that our students think about every day, like, what does a senior named account manager do? You know, you said that you're client facing. So could you give us um, an idea of your day to day? And along those lines, tell us um, in coming out of the pandemic, uh, what your setup is. Do you Are you able to work remote or do you have flexibility? How does all that work? For sure. Happy to. So um, essentially what my job description is, is to help folks in the, in the 
really all folks in the business industry because cybersecurity is cared about by from the CEO and people who are not technical to those that are technical because it can have such a massive, the risk can have a massive impact on a business, um, either monetary or their brand and stuff like that. So my role is really to help folks minimize their risk in an organization. And those risks can become very complex and technical. But at the end of the day, it's trying to make sure they're protected. And what many people are looking for is um, a software solution that works really well. But that's not just all. They're also looking to have a relationship and a true partnership with the organization. And I'm kind of that uh, main point of contact and that person that if I'm their account manager, I'm who they work with. And so the process looks like us engaging with someone and having conversations to understand what their needs are and see if there's alignment between what I do and what we do and what they need. And then we help them prove that out. And then they end up purchasing the software. And from there, we support them to make sure they're successful, which looks like a million different things. But at the end of the day, it's being, uh, if you think about like what you would want in a partner, it's someone who's responsive, helpful, looks out for you, knows what you're doing. And also there's a communication aspect too. Like you have to validate these decisions and help them understand how well like we're performing and how protected they are. So a lot of um, what I'm doing is just engaging with different professionals and listening a lot and sharing a little bit about what we do, but not just like going in and selling to them. It's more about building relationships, but throughout this whole engagement, there's an experience design element to it where you would think about it like, okay, cool. Do you want to talk to someone who <laughs> you think about how you would want to like engage with someone and what that experience is like? Is there good, clear, transparent communication where they're well-prepared and understand things going into it? Or do you want someone who just talks at you and yeah. is not relevant with what's relevant to you? So right. We also, the way we, one of the ways that we um, engage with the greater community and people who work at the accounts that we work with is through a lot of field marketing events, actually, Um, not just like conferences and and big things like that, but we do anything from just this, this past summer, I participated in a racing event we did where we rented out the Sonoma County Speedway, had all kinds of supercars there and took our clients out to drive supercars and then talked with them and have lunch afterwards. So there is this experience. Yeah. Element to it. it. Um, That's so great. I love it. That's, um, and that is, um, you know, exactly what you said. That is experience design. And obviously that's on a scale that, that is just superb. And I love the creativity, uh, uh, you know, with that. But even when you just think about like a small meeting or a small group meeting, yeah. and I think about it from an experience design perspective, I think one of the things that 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 our move to experience design and experience industry management and why we're trying to increase the transferability even more is because we are starting. I, I feel like we've we've reached this point where we realize that maybe some of the ways that we've done things all along aren't the greatest, right? You know, and yeah. so you know, I just think about like going to a meeting where someone is unprepared and the agenda is like all over the place, and you're sitting there being talked to totally. 
And you're like, what? Why am I here? This is such a waste <laughs> of time, right? And and that's yes, that's what I think that it, it can bring so much value into. Like, hey, let's do it. Building those relationships, like you said, and changing an experience for someone. If I've just raced a car with you and then get to like have lunch, yeah. I'm way more likely to bond with you, right? Um, or if I hike the Appalachian Trail with you and, uh, <laughs> and our relationship is still there, uh, yeah. I'm, I'll have a longer marriage, right? Uh, more for yeah. marriage, right? Totally. Yeah. I think you're, you're hitting the nail on the head there. And, um, for some reason, and I think it's, I I'm on, I'm a proponent of what you're saying, Dr. Greenwood with when folks ask you the question about like, why are you interviewing people who are in, you know, these types of roles that are not like the traditional Mm -hmm. experience industry roles you might think of or something like that. Or like you don't own like a river raft company or something like that. (laughs) Right. Um, Uh, it's it's weird that so, dozens of people and dozens of people from my class are kind of in a, a role similar to mine in some yeah. capacity. Like there's something you're doing in this department that gears people for these types of roles that there is no, I mean, there might be a few of these, but there's not like a degree program for um, going into like sales. <laughs> really, right. there. Right. I know Cal Poly might be working on one or something like that, but um right. Build a big part of this role is being um, a trustworthy person with good communication skills who understands things in a holistic way um, and can bring together like non technical, technical, legal, business, like security, all these things together Mm -hmm. um, to help create a partnership. And that's like something people have a hard time with. And our major, I think, because of how broad it is with the types of courses you're taking and the culture like helps you do that. And that's transferable to like what George P. Johnson does too. They're, they're very like um, client friendly organization. And that's one of the reasons they're successful is their clients love them and their partnership too. So whether I was doing sales for a software company or working at George P. Johnson, like you're still um, having a high level of engagement with actual customers and then you're in turn creating that experience. So it's just what the experience is and what it's for that changes. Right. Right. I love it. Well, um, let's, let's end with this, Eric. Um, if you could go back, uh, go back in time and, and time travel to your junior year, uh, what, what advice would you give yourself? Uh, well, Maybe take $20 and invest it in Bitcoin in 2012. (laughs) That would have been a really good decision. There you Uh, go. go. (laughs) Uh, I'm joking, but oh, I'm half, I'm joking. That's not my real answer, but I'm serious that that is advice I would give myself. Um, Right, right. I was just so broke. Uh, $20 was like a big um, expense at that time, but I I still should have done it. Anyways, um, Really, it's the advice I would have given myself is to study abroad. I got very close and I had a lot of really great friends like encouraging me to do it, but I just didn't see a path at the time, like financially. And there was also a lot of fear of like, I don't know anyone in my life who's like other than friends who've studied abroad. And there was too much like risk in doing that and coming back and like navigating how to reintegrate into school. And then I also thought, well, will this maybe make it so I graduate like a year later? That could be Mm -hmm. like expensive and like harder for me to pull off. So Mm -hmm. looking back, 
I'm sure I could have found a way or like reached out to other people to try and like have them help me make it a reality um, and help like deal with the concerns that I had. But mm-hmm. I really wish I would have studied abroad maybe, but if I had, maybe I would have led me in a different position. I wouldn't have hiked the AT with my wife at the time. So right. I don't have regrets, but there you go. I also like so many, any people I know that studied abroad, like they have something special going on as far as that experience and what it did for them. And also the network they have, especially, and this may not last or be true everywhere, but like in the Bay area, there's so many Cal Poly grads and so many people who studied abroad and met people from other um, universities. And it's the weirdest thing is that many of them live in the same area, work at the same companies are interconnected. And that is very valuable. That like network that people have and, um, so it's really cool. I think that's another thing too, is just, um, that I would share as advice for people is to just focus on like networking and not like go show up at a conference and introduce yourself to every person you met, but just focus on trying to make connections, getting to know people. And um, that's like really helpful for whatever it is, whether you know, someone who who knows how to garden or, you know, someone who works at a company that you might want to try and work at. I love it. Such such valuable advice. And um, Eric, I I can't thank you enough for coming on. It's uh, it's always so great to see you, um, and uh, and just really appreciate all the valuable advice and and um, and experiences that you've shared with us today. Thank you so much. Please don't be a stranger. Um, give me a holler if you're ever in um, San Luis Obispo. I'd love to get a coffee with you. Sure. Uh, but uh, thank you so much. Really appreciate you sharing time with us today. Yeah, I'm more than happy to. And thank you, Dr. Greenman, for everything you do. And this podcast, I was researching ahead of time. You've had so many guests and you have put in so much time in producing these episodes that I think are super valuable. So thank you for bringing the podcast to um, everyone. And then also, yeah, just um, constantly being a huge figure in the EIM department and um, helping students uh, achieve their dreams, including me. So um, thank you. And if um, those listening ever want to reach out to me, like link, you can find me on LinkedIn and message me there. That's a good way to do it. Or I'm sure you could reach out to Dr. Greenwood and gain my contact info, but I'm more than happy to do um, connect with people if you just want to talk about something or if you're interested in something specific i mentioned here on the pod like happy to engage with you and i wish you all the best love it eric thank you so much great to see you yeah thanks dr greenwood take care bye